Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello and welcome everyone to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas and I'm here with Bill Barrett of Abra. Abra is a digital currency wallet that allows you to buy and sell crypto directly from a smartphone. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Oh, I am fantastic. I uh, was just uh, lamenting. I'm here in Austin, Texas, and uh, we are frozen over. The world has come to a standstill because we dropped below the freezing level and nobody knows how to handle it down here. Well, hopefully the, the big thaw will start soon enough and you'll all survive. <laughs> yeah, the Ice Age will be over soon enough. Yeah. So, exactly. Bill, tell us a little bit about uh, about Abra. Uh, you know, I, I know that there are a ton of wallets out there on the market. And what is it that's setting Abra apart? Sure. So Abra is the world's first non-custodial, meaning you're holding your own keys, digital currency wallet that not only allows you to hold Bitcoin and Ethereum, but also allows you to hold fiat, uh, meaning dollars, euros, pesos, directly on a smartphone, again, with no financial intermediary, no, no custodian. So that means that you can have a single wallet with dollars, uh, Bitcoin, Ether, and you're actually holding the keys to all three currencies directly on the phone. Uh, we call this uh, a synthetic dollar, meaning the ability to hold the dollar on a phone. Uh, and then you can do swaps between the three of them in real time, meaning you can exchange your digital dollars for Ether, you can exchange your Ether for Bitcoin, your Bitcoin for dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we believe that we're the first company to deploy uh, this technology that uses the multi signature or multi sig capabilities of Bitcoin to enable uh, this non-custodial storage uh, and movement of digital currencies. Okay, excellent. And uh, so uh, this is one of the common themes that we have been discussing over the past few weeks is uh, setting up a cryptocurrency for uh, a larger scale adoption. And I like to use the example of uh, my, my accountant is a very smart lady. Uh, and walking her through how to buy her first, uh, you know, ten dollars of crypto on Coinbase took like an hour. Uh, and yeah. she's a really smart person. And but yeah. it, the the barrier to entry on this is very high. And so it sounds like you're yeah. looking to simplify. And talk to me about that. Oh, the average user for Abra is up and running. They can actually use a, an American Express card to make that first purchase of Bitcoin, usually in minutes. Um, download the app from the App Store. Uh, you don't even have to provide any personal details when you start the app the first time. It just validates your phone number like you're using a text messaging app. 
then uh, it shows you, uh, you know, your, your dollar wallet, and then you can add a Bitcoin wallet and an Ether wallet. And then immediately you can enter uh, your American Express card details and buy some, buy some Bitcoin. Um, and if you want to use your bank account, you can enter those details. And then the next day or usually within 36 hours, the, um, the buy is complete. But a lot of our users just enter their card details for that first quick uh, experience. And our, our goal is to make this accessible to the average consumer. When I say the average consumer, we're not even just talking about that example you gave of the typical kind of American. We're actually going global with this, where we're actually targeting billions of consumers, a lot of whom don't even have bank accounts and would have to make that first purchase in cash. So we've got users, for example, in Asia who go to the retail point of sale and make that first ever purchase using uh, the, the paper money in their pocket. And, and that's something that we're also going to be expanding uh, throughout the world. So, so for us, ABRA is that first kind of next generation banking system where it doesn't matter if you're American or African, uh, you know, or Australian. It's, it's, one, it's kind of one wallet for everyone. Uh, it's obviously the experience of getting money in and on and off will be a little bit different depending on the country you're in, but we want the wallet platform to work for everyone globally. That's a tall order to have a wallet to work for everyone across the globe. Uh, tell me about some of the uh, uh, technical challenges that you've faced in uh, in making that a reality. Yeah, so so this is the key question to why we built ABRA the way we did. It, it has to do with the intersection of uh, banking law and technology, right? So being a custodian, meaning a manager of consumers' funds in over 100 countries is almost impossible legally. The uh, oversight uh, from a banking regulation perspective, compliance laws and whatnot make it untenable for a startup to manage consumer funds in, in dozens of countries. So to solve this problem, Abra takes advantage of this next generation multi-signature technology in a way where Abra never actually touches the consumer's own funds. So when you're storing dollars or Bitcoin in that ABRA wallet, ABRA is not t holding your keys. You are. And so the litmus test for that would be, let's say the government came to me and said, I'm here to subpoena your funds. Uh, and my response would be, well, here's his phone number. Go talk to him because I don't have the funds. They're on his phone, right? That's what we mean by non-custodial. So the technical challenges in implementing a model like that are tremendous. And I believe that ABRA is the first company to accomplish that with both crypto as well as fiat money at the same time. And it took us a couple of years to build out this multi-signature uh, wallet model that we have. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's very complex to build because you simply can't get it wrong, right? Because if, if money disappears, it's gone forever. And, and so we tested it with millions of dollars. And we now have, of course, thousands and thousands of users. We've processed, you know, hundreds of million dollars in transaction volume. It's all good. But, but getting there took us literally a couple of years of time uh, and millions of dollars in, in venture capital. Uh, but now we have something that no one else in the industry has. Excellent. So you're solving the problem by uh, finding a new solution. If, if you were the custodian of these funds, as you mentioned, it would be nearly impossible uh, to stay in compliance and keep everybody secure and safe. Uh, and so the way that you're solving that is, well, we're not actually taking possession of your funds at any time. That's correct. That's correct. And, and that makes ABRA much, much harder to implement but it makes it that much more useful. We didn't start ABRA explicitly to create a better Bitcoin wallet. 
we started Abra to build the next generation kind of banking solution uh, for everyone on the planet, uh, whether it's that unbanked consumer in Mexico receiving remittances from the U.S. or somebody, uh, you know, a student in New York who might get a, a wire from, from a family or have to pay bills every once in a while, but also happens to believe in this next generation of, of, of crypto. And we wanted one system that, that worked for everyone. And honestly, this is the only way we could figure out to make it work. Uh, and I think we've done it in a way that has a super easy consumer experience. Uh, and at the same time, uh, addresses all of the regulatory requirements of not holding consumer funds. And I, uh, you know, like I said, uh, took a long time to build that platform. But now that we've got it, I think we're onto something pretty special here. And then, of course, the user, the user uptake, which has been fantastic. Uh, seems to be proving that out. Excellent. And so talk to me a little bit about uh, there's there's a lot of, uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's there are a lot of wallets uh, and some of them hold, you know, certain currencies and some of them don't hold certain currencies. Uh, let's just talk about wallets in general. Uh, do you see this market as being a bit fractured? No, I, I wouldn't call it fractured. I mean, it's so early. You know, I was at, at Netscape in the 90s and there was lots of browsers and there was competing, uh, you know, compete, we were competing for mindshare around new standards, and we were we were basically laying asphalt for the future internet, right? I, I don't think we necessarily all knew it at the time. Some of us did, like we worked on SSL, right, which we needed to secure credit cards. We knew that was foundational. A lot of what a lot of different companies are doing from a feature for perspective is foundational. I would claim a lot of the companies won't make it long-term, but that's the nature of startup. But a lot of the ideas that they're creating will live on. Uh, and I think what, what's really important about Abra in particular is the fact that we've gone so deep around a compelling, uh, viable user experience that doesn't require you to have a PhD in computer science to understand Bitcoin. Um, and, and so that, believe it or not, may end up being more important to the long-term adoption uh, than a lot of the technical nuances that you know your mom might not understand if she wants to get into this. Um, but I, but I think that this kind of competing uh, or the idea of competition across wallets is really important because it, it it forces people to dig in and solve real problems for real consumers, or you end up dying. And and I think that's a good thing because the more people try to solve big problems and end up dying, the better. Or, or more likely the chance that we're going to end up uh, in a really good place uh, after a lot of trial and tribulation. And I think we're in the middle of the first kind of generation of that now. And maybe we're just starting to see some hints at the second generation. You know, Bitcoin is going to turn 10 years old next year. Um, there's millions of wallets, but most of those wallets have tiny, tiny balances because for most people, the utility isn't there beyond speculation. And so I think in the second generation, you're going to see uh, companies like Abra start to go after applications beyond speculation around payments, money transfer, credits that really extend the utility of, of uh, Bitcoin and its tech underlying technology uh, into the traditional banking system in a way that the banks themselves can't easily do. So as you're discussing these phases, uh, you know, it sounds like you have a, a good grasp on the, you know, the development arc of cryptocurrency in general. Talk to me about as we're finishing out this first phase of development and entering into the second phase. What does that second phase look like and when do you think it arrives? I think over the next five years, it was kind of like, let me take a step back and, 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 and talk about the 
the five-year transition between Internet 1.0 and 2.0, right? So the first kind of phase of Internet was about information access and search, right? And that was the browser, kind of browser wars, quote-unquote, Netscape, Microsoft, and then you had Ink to Me, and then and then Google came along, and before Google, you had AltaVista, uh, and, and a lot of companies that, that people who uh, don't remember those times probably don't even remember, but were, were in, absolutely essential into getting Google to where it is today, in my opinion. Uh, and, and so there was that transition. Um, and then we had the second transition to 2.0, which was really about utilities, about applications, about using the browser in, in new ways. And, and, and a lot of that was driven by social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, but other, other services as well that, that took advantage of the underlying rails that had been laid uh, and the tracks that had been laid by the first generation, uh, and even Google offering other services beyond, beyond search. And I think that a similar transition or analogous transition is going to happen over a multi-year time frame. Now, first of all, the development of the core infrastructure of Bitcoin, Ether, and some of the competing uh, cryptos is going to take another decade. But at the same time, as it's evolving at a rapid rate, the utility is going to start to show up at the same time. I think it's going to show up first in financial services, uh, particularly in, in credit, in uh, cross-border finance and trade. Uh, money transfer and and um, enabling what we call decentralized investing, which is using uh, Bitcoin smart contracts to get exposure to other asset classes. And this this is going to happen over the next. It's going to start over the next 18 months, but it's really going to accelerate in that three to five year time frame. Which, in the grand scheme of things, in financial services, is a very short time run, right? Because they tend to think in decades. So. So, um, so we're really on the cusp of a major sea shift in financial services and financial technology as we get into that utilitarian phase. Okay, interesting. Uh, so you you think that the development is uh, rapidly accelerated over uh, the traditional financial banking institutions and technology? It, it, it has to be because it, it, it's almost like my answer has to be yes because if not, the space goes away because what's the value? to those who already have access to financial services. It may be that people who don't have access to financial services are the ones who, who take advantage of this in the, in the biggest way first, but I would still claim that either way, we have to be faster. We have to be better, faster, and cheaper by an order of magnitude at least, or the incumbents will just get incrementally better because we're nipping at their heels and they'll swat us away like, like gnats. Um, and, and that's what it means to go from zero to one, you know, the title of Peter Thiel's now famous book, which is how can you be orders of magnitude better than the incumbents, not incrementally better? You know, you don't want a better spring on a mousetrap. You want a fundamentally better way of catching a mouse. And so, so that's what this industry has to do or is not going to ultimately add value to consumers. And uh, so, you know, just as we're as we're wrapping up here, and I know this this isn't why we brought you on, but uh, you know, we we release these podcasts pretty uh, pretty frequently, and uh, the the current situation uh, where we are here in mid January is the uh, the entire cryptocurrency market is is in a major slump. Uh, do you have any opinions on that uh, as far as why it's there? and uh, what kind of recovery we should expect and when? Yeah, so obviously when you refer to cryptocurrency markets being a major slump, you're talking about the price on, uh, particularly on exchanges. Uh, you know, again, let me caveat this by saying that 
I believe that the long-term value here is not in its, its speculative value, but it's in its utilitarian value. And that having been said, the speculative value actually helps drive the utilitarian value. In other words, the, the more valuable Bitcoin is, the easier it becomes to extrapolate uh, and, and take advantage and exploit its utilitarian value. So we need, for example, Abra needs the value of Bitcoin over time to keep going up to be successful. Now, back to your specific question about why we're in this kind of slump versus, you know, everything being up and to the right for most of last year, I would say a few things, right? You've got millions of wallets that have been created uh, at, at exchanges, offline wallets like Abra over the past year. Most of those wallets have a balance that are close to zero, right? So a lot of people have come in, come out, come in, come out, uh, not really... Uh, interested in yet in the long-term value or even understand the long-term value of, of a Bitcoin or an Ether. Uh, and that's starting to change, but that's still mostly the case. And most of the people who are um, you know, get coming in and out are doing so based upon the euphoria of, of speculative value. Now, the people that I know that are super long-term holders, meaning they, that they're, they're paper millionaires but have no intention of selling, even in the down market of the past couple of weeks, um, know the utilitarian value of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, and they have no interest in selling right now. Uh, and and so the the challenge, of course, is is that there's not nearly as many of those people yet, right? The vast majority of people who are driving the price uh, in Korea, in Japan, a little bit in the West, uh, are doing so for speculative reasons. And I would claim that that's going to to change a little bit over time uh, as people start to understand the value. So so. Right now, we've got an issue where a lot of the speculation was coming out of Asia, particularly in Korea and Japan, as those markets were really warming up. Um, Korea has put a little bit of a kibosh on, um, you know, people, uh, people's bubble. Uh, they haven't outlawed Bitcoin. They, they've come out and said that they have no intention of, of outlawing the exchanges to facilitate uh, buying and selling a Bitcoin. But they have put warnings in place that, hey, you know, this could be a speculative bubble and, and, and don't risk more than you can afford to lose, which, you know, I would say it's not a legal mandate, but it's certainly smart advice to anyone. You know, don't don't put more money in Bitcoin than you can really afford to lose. Um, but the reality is, is institutional money in the West really hasn't started flooding into Bitcoin yet. Um, and I think that given given that and, and, and the euphoria around the speculative bubble we had in, in early Q4 and, and, and through mid-December, it does make sense that some of the people who were in this purely short-term speculative gain have taken out profits and uh, and then, you know, again, some of the euphoria, euphoria dying in Korea has, has led to a softening of the market. At some point, it seems to me that the institutional money in the West is going to start coming into this space. Uh, and, um, you know, God knows what's going to happen when that happens. But, you know, you could see uh, another run-up. I, I have no crystal ball. I'm not making a prediction. But one could make a case for saying, hey, if we start getting this institutional money in the West, which is a hell of a lot more than the institutional money in Japan and Korea, uh, you know, God knows what what that would do to the not only the, the, the core cryptos of, of Bitcoin and Ether, but all of the, you know, the hangers on and, and the altcoin world as well, which, um, you know, which seems to be even more volatile. So so who knows is, uh, is the bottom line, but it's super early days. Uh, unless anyone thinks that this is a mature market, they they are completely wrong. This is like inning inning one of the game, and uh, it's a it's it's a game that's going to play out over many many years. 
Very good. And so uh, how can we learn more about Abra? Is it, uh, do we need to go to a website or can we download it from the sure. App Store? Where do, where do we find out about Both. it? Both. Both. Yeah, you can download Abra directly from the App Stores by just searching for Abra, A-B-R-A, or you can go to abra.com uh, and link to the App Stores from there and get more details. We've got a great blog site where we write about all this stuff about how Abra works, where the industry is going. Uh, and um, yeah, so both uh, both places will work. Excellent. Bill Barrett from Abra. Uh, go download the wallet right now and uh, you uh, can get started using cryptocurrency and uh, buying and selling using your credit card or your bank account. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, any final thoughts for our audience? Uh, yeah, please um, spread the word, right? We need more people in this space. You know, Start evangelizing Bitcoin. Start evangelizing Ether. Read more, learn more, uh, go get a couple of books, but but Start getting into the, the, the nuances of why this world is so important beyond just simply the, the speculative value. Excellent. That'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next time on the Future Tech Podcast. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.